0: In this fallen world, that injustice is practiced. This thing that we call inequality, and the, the new term now, inequity, is in fact true in our world. And I think in this this discourse, his Job's friends and Job himself addresses the matter. So I want to just kind of look at this aspect of injustice that takes place. The arguments from which, from each of Job's friends, remains on course as they endeavor to prove that justice prevails in this fallen world and that only the wicked suffer. Eliphaz argues that the evidence is in the looking and in what has been observed by men of old. He argues in chapter 15, beginning in verse number 20. Now, I told you at the very start that we're doing a very broad stroke of the book of Job. And you're probably thinking, this has been a long, broad stroke. Uh, (laughs) But it's really broad, and so there's a lot that that we are not talking about in these chapters. So if you see something there that I miss, um, I know that it's there. And and I've chosen to, to skip over it. Skip over those things, but praise be to God that you notice them, and that you can read them and, and God is working your heart in those areas there but here in verse number fifteen this is this is uh, eliphaz 's um explanation of what of what the wicked in this world experiences. He says in verse number 20, the wicked man writhes in pain all his days through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. Now, it goes on in the chapter. You can read in your Bible and you can see there. But that's the, the premise of what he's saying. The wicked man writhes in pain all his days through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. Now, Bildad, in the next Phrase after Job speaks. In verse number eight in chapter number eighteen, he says something very similar in verse number five of Job chapter 18. Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out. The flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. In other words, he is just really struggling in this world. Zophar follows In chapter 20, each claiming that justice prevails in this world where those in the right are rewarded and the wicked experience present day justice. In other words, from the comfort of their own easy life, each of Job's friends contended that the world in which we live is a fair and a just world. But Job's response is deeply personal. He expresses the injustice that he himself had experienced. Now, now if you read, I think it's in chapter number, number 15, that, that Job argues, I can say this, I would probably offer you to the same counsel that you're offering to me if I, was, if I were in your shoes. In other words, in my comfort seat, in a comfortable seat, it's easy to look out and say life is wonderful, everything is fair, everything is just, all is is equal, and everything is equitable. But Job says, "Nope, not true." I learned differently, and he used a very personal illustration. Beginning, in, uh, then look in verse number in chapter number nineteen. Now this whole section covers. It begins in chapter 15 and goes through chapter 21. So we're going to be moving within those chapters here to kind of lay out the argument that that um, that Job makes. Chapter 19 and verse number four, um, Job says, "Even if it be true that I have erred, or in biblical terms, even though this is in the Bible, even if I have sinned." my error remains with myself. This is between myself and my God. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me, and you make my disgrace and argument against me, know that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Now, Job understands, as well as his friends, understands that behind the affairs of this world, Stands a God who governs his creation. This is not an indictment against God, although he questions God. And I would interject here, he questions God really close to the edge that makes me very uncomfortable. But I think God is fully capable of taking care of himself. So, thank you. But this really is not an indictment against God, but rather an acknowledgement of, of God's sovereign hand in all things. Mankind is still culpable for their sinful behavior. And this is what he does. Look in verse number seven of chapter 19. He says, Behold, I cry out violence but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. God has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown of my head. God has humbled me, and he has blocked me in where I cannot escape. I cannot get away from my circumstances. God breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope as he pulled Up like a tree. In other words, I have no more tricks up my sleeve. I don't know how to get out of this position that I'm in. He has kindled his wrath against me and he counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Now that's dire circumstances. And that picture we have there is that God is bringing Job to the very end of himself. Unless we, we believe that this is unjust on God's behalf, let's be very careful. We serve a sovereign God who often behaves and acts toward his people in what might seem to be an arbitrary way, but we know what God has revealed about himself and that everything that he does is good. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, 165, that Psalm 119, that God is good and he does good. That is his very nature, his very essence is good. He doesn't just, he's not just a good guy. He is goodness embodied. And everything that he does is good. So even when he breaks us and brings us to the end of ourselves where we feel as though we have nowhere else to turn, God is still good. I don't know about you, but for me, that is a real comfort, a a kind of scary comfort, but it's a good comfort because I can always know that God is doing what is right. And we'll come back to that again in, in the weeks Weeks to come. This is, this is what then began to happen. And again, mankind is still culpable for their behavior. And this is where he describes an injustice in this world from a personal perspective and personal experience. He has put my brothers far from me and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. So he's describing the fact that he has now lost everything that he has ever owned. He has lost all of his children. He has lost his health. He apparently is pitiful to look upon whereas his friends sat in silence for seven days after seeing him. And everyone began to shun him. My relatives, verse 14, have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. Verse 15, the guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with my servant with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. I am a stench to the children of my mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. That's all I'm holding on to. There is nothing else to hold on to. The affliction God had brought upon Job unveiled the true nature of his friends and his loved ones. It exposed just how quickly man's heart can be turned against one another. Job, who is noted in the opening chapters of this book to be the greatest of all the people of the East... As a man that was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil, this man was now judged to be unworthy of associating with. Job's wealth was taken from him. His health was destroyed, but nothing in Job's character had changed. Nothing had changed about Job. Nothing. He was the same man that he was the day before. Nothing has changed about him. He was the same person that the people had known all along, but now he was despised by all. This was an injustice. This was being judged in an unjust way. That is the description that he gives. Job was judged by others. He was judged by his own people based solely upon his lot in life injustice is rooted in sin we learn from the scriptures that sin makes you self-conscious right we learn that in the garden of eden as soon as adam and eve as soon as adam and eve ate of the fruit and sinned against God, what happened? They became self-conscious. They saw their present physical state and they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. But not only were they self-conscious, but they began in their self-consciousness always looking out for self. How did Adam look out for his own self? How did he preserve his own self? How did he profit his own self or attempt to profit his own self? How did he attempt to glorify his own self? Well, we learn that immediately, right, in chapter three. It's a humorous passage when God walks in the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and he says, Adam, where are you? And he said, I was hiding. I was, we were hiding because we, we, we were naked. And God said, who told you we were naked? What was his response? The woman? Why? Because he was unjust, he judged himself greater to protect and to preserve greater than Eve. What did Eve do? She pointed to the serpent. In essence, what is, what is that? It is blaming God for what he had done. This is the woman you gave me, God. Man, if you just gave me a better woman, I would be. I would remain spiritual. I would continue to walk with you. God, if you did not create that serpent, I would not have listened. But the whole central theme that we find here is that there is an injustice that, that permeates the human heart, right? The cry for justice in our nation is a valid demand made by the oppressed, the mistreated, and the abused. Of all people, it is to be the church who is to pray for, work toward, and to ju- do justice for all, right? We know that. Micah tells us that in in Micah chapter 6, that God has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, Job doesn't park there very long. In answer to the assertions that only the wicked are judged by God, and therefore experience great sorrows, he argues exactly the opposite. In other words, Job moves from what he considers to be unjust behavior toward him by his friends and family to the unjust structure of this world system that seems to favor the wicked, right? Turn in your Bibles to chapter 21 and begin reading in verse number eight. And I'm just reading different short segments of, of of a larger discourse, but listen to what he says beginning in verse number eight. He says, their offspring... Speaking of the wicked, their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. No rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds with, without fail. Their cow, see, they talked to the ranchers even. Their cow calves, not the wicked ranchers, the, the good ranchers. The, their, their cow calves and, and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. Look at verse number 14. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. You you understand what he's saying? He's saying these guys curse God. And they prosper. Things are going well. Things are great for them. Look at their children. They're all pretty. They're all handsome. They dance in the streets. They're living it up. They're, everything about them works. So Job poses the question as to why it is that the wicked prosper. And in turn, he's posing the question, why am I, a righteous man, suffering? So why do the wicked prosper and it seems that the righteous suffer well if you had been here about an hour earlier and worked with us through the gospel of john um you might hear some of that you might understand those who name christ will be hated The joe presents at least two points for hope in the heart of the saints by the way this proposition is absolutely true not not in every aspect i mean, I mean, God's people in the United States have known the great comforts that this nation offers, and for this we are thankful. We do look at the, pros- the, the, the prosperous ways of the of those who despise God, and we have to ask ourselves, that, or at least come to the conclusion that we do live in a fallen world. But Job presents at least two points that gives hope in the heart. Of the saints, and I'm going to discuss what a saint is in just a minute. The first point that offers hope in the heart of the saints is that we have a witness. Now, Joel brought this up earlier when he spoke of one he- of, of, of needing an arbiter in heaven. But turn back in verse in chapter 16, and begin reading in verse number 18. Chapter 16, verse 18, Job says, O earth, cover not my blood and let my cry find no resting place. Now this takes us back to, excuse me, this takes us back to Genesis chapter 4 after Cain murdered his brother Abel. And God came to him and, and said, where's your brother? He said, am I my, your, your bro, my brother's keeper? And God said, You're, the blood of your brother Abel cries out to me. Now there's the ground bears witness of the murder and the injustice that took place upon Abel by the hands of Cain. Job is saying, O earth, do, don't cover my blood. I want that to be a witness of who I am and of my right standing before God. Even now, verse number 19, behold, my witness is in heaven. He is the one who testifies for me it on high. My friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God. So, on a horizontal plane, my friends scorn me. I pray to God, my eyes pour out tears to God, that He would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. And when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. Listen carefully to what Job is saying. Job is saying that he prays to God that there would be one that would be offered that could defend his case as a man with a man. One that would be a mediator or one that would be an advocate on behalf of Cain. One that would be an advocate on behalf of the righteous. One that would stand before God as a representative For those who were, who are righteous. Aren't you glad that we live on this side of the cross and we have now the New Testament that helps to explain this a little further? To what degree Job understood what he was writing and what he was pleading, we are unsure, but I I have my suspicion after reading through this book for several times that he knew a whole lot about our redeemer and about our god than we would ever suspect but the apostle john speaks to us about an advocate in chapter 2 of the of first john he says my little children i am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous. I'll just stop there. I'm, I want to read the rest of the, 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 the next verse in just a minute. But I want us to stop and consider this as, as Job cries out to the Lord, and he says, I, I, I pray that I would have a witness that is in heaven who would plead my case before God. We need to understand that Job was speaking as one who had, who had a confidence by the revelation of God that he was, in fact, right with God, that he was righteous before God. We can read that throughout the book of Job, that, that it seems as though, not, not as it seems, but it's very clear, that God had provided the means by which he could stand before God in a righteous way, and he would not be utterly destroyed. And we find that three times in the f- opening two chapters, that God bears witness, and I, I mentioned this last week, and I think that's foundational for us to understand Job's pleas here. How is, and again, I know, I know that we've talked about this in just the past couple of weeks, and I don't mean to be redundant, but I want us to understand very clearly what it means for a man to be righteous before God, whether you lived in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, whether you lived before the cross of Christ or after the cross. What was the required, what is the requirement for a man to be saved in the Old Testament? Faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You might say, rightfully, Jesus wasn't even born yet. The Incarnate God had not yet entered into the world. That's true, but Job and every Old Testament saved, uh, every per- Old Testament saint was saved by what Christ would one day do on their behalf. They may have had to look forward to what God was going to do. They might have act, had needed, been required to, to act upon the revelation that God had given to them that pointed them toward the cross. They may not have fully understood entirely what was going to take place, but they did understand what God had told them and what God had revealed to them. It is understanding that God in his infinite mercy, has provided the means by which we might be saved, and that means is Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. The Old Testament saint just as the New Testament saint is not saved by cleaning up your life and doing good. Job was not arguing his case based upon his own merit. He was not saying, I'm a good guy, look at all that I did. He was arguing his case based upon his assurance that was given to him by God himself that he belonged to God, that he was righteous in God's eyes. And how did he become righteous in God's eyes? By faith in God's promises by faith in what God has provided. I I wonder today, are are you confident in your standing before God? And if you you answer in the affirmative, yes, I am confident in my standing before God, then my next question is, in what are you confident? In what are you resting? If you are resting in your personal merit, if you are resting in the fact that you attended church today, if you are resting in the fact that you are a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever you may be, your denomination, then it's a false hope. Our hope and our rest does not rest in our own merit. I, I, I do not, I, I, I personally do not place any hope in the fact that I'm a pastor that I would st- stand before God one day. My hope is in Christ Jesus alone. Now the important thing about this is that when when Job says, I need a witness in heaven, I need an advocate in heaven, he needed to be in right standing before God. Why? Because he was appealing to a holy and a righteous God. And if If Job was asking that someone to stand before God would bear witness as to what Job really was, he better hope that that witness and that advocate had a good report. In other words, if you're going to call a witness to the witness stand on your behalf, he better be on your side. And and, and what we have in Christ is that he is our advocate when we, by God's grace, are brought to a saving faith in what he has done on our behalf. He is our advocate. In other words, he pleads our case. He mediates on our behalf. So when the accuser of the brethren points his bony little fingers at you and say, look at that that dirty, rotten sinner Christ can defend on your behalf and say, yes, He is a sinner that is saved by grace. I am advocating on His behalf because, and let, let me go back to First to John chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may sin not, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one, and he is the propitiation. For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, not, not only is he our witness, but he is our righteousness. And that word propitiation is that he has satisfied the just requirements of God's holy character and of his law. He has fulfilled what was required for me to be forgiven, So as Jesus stands before the throne of God and Satan, the accuser, points his finger at Matt Lim and says, look at Matt Lim, a sinner, Jesus advocates and says, yes, he's a sinner who I have delivered and I have paid the penalty for his sin on his behalf. And I have satisfied what is necessary for Matt Lim to be in right standing before God. He is my advocate, he is my witness in heaven. And I can tell you from my own personal life, my own practical daily living, I praise God that I have an advocate always pleading on my behalf, because I'm a screw-up. And I need that blood of Christ to have washed away my sins, not just hidden it, not just an ad, not, not just a, a covering, but has washed it away, as far as the east is from the west, right? And know what the prophet says? I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Not north and south. I mean, my sin doesn't get stuck at the North Pole. There is no meeting of east and west. That means that it's completely gone. And I am glad that I have an advocate who continues to plead my case based upon what he has done and not based upon what I have done. As long as you live in this world, there is likely, it is likely that you will face injustice. Life in this world is not always fair. But you can rest assured that in Christ and through and, and the, the Christ, um, that in Christ and through Christ, You have a witness in heaven on your behalf. By the way, you don't want God to be fair with you. You want God's mercy. And God's mercy is bestowed upon you because he was just with Christ. His wrath came upon Christ in order so that you might know his mercy. For the culture warriors who fight for injustice in this world know know that true justice cannot be fully realized in this present world. Now, we, we, in our political system, in our constitutional republic, we can fight and we can vote and we can be active in the politics of this world to legislate um, just and righteous behavior and conduct, and that's good, and I think we ought to be involved in those areas, but we must, as God's people, always know that true justice is practiced only by God. If those who have been oppressed uh, for all these years all of a sudden uh, are able to legislate things and turn around so that they are in power, you know what will happen? Pretty soon they're going to practice injustice toward the other way around. Why? Because sin is at the core of man's heart and the result or the remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ who changes our heart. The second... second um, note of hope that Job gives to us is that we have not only an advocate, but we have a redeemer. Look in chapter 19. And it seems as, as we read Job's um, Job's discourses, discourse as it progresses through the book, it seems as though Job is is progressing in his understanding of what God has, what God was doing in his life. He is being accused again by his by his friends, and and he is defending himself. Verse number twenty five. Verse number 23, he he says, oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they are engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. So we have an advocate as we live in this present world. We can know that even when we face injustice, and, and, and folks, I, I know that you are well aware that the history of the church, the, 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 the pathway of, of those who had gone before us Is saturated with blood. Men and women have shed their blood for the sake of Christ from the times of the apostles till today. And all who have suffered for the sake of Christ has faced injustice in this world. And there is a very good possibility that you may have to pay a price. And you may have to shed blood on behalf of the sake of, for the sake of Christ. You will face injustice in this world. But as we face the injustice in the world, we, we have a hope that as we face the injustice of man, we have an advocate before the Father and we stand in, right, in righteousness before our God, even in the midst of what is going on in this present world. But not only that, we have something for which we might look toward, this Redeemer who would return. Notice what Job, what, it's, what Job says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. That he is life himself. He is the giver of life. Don't pray to a dead God. We, we don't pray to a a, 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 a um, a savior who remains on the cross. I mean, Isaac began the, our, 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 this, our, our gathering this morning in in, in, asking, in blessing you with, with a happy resurrection Sunday because they met the first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Every time we gather together, we are remembering that Christ is living. He's alive. We serve a living savior. He's in the world today, Right? He knows that he is alive. He is a life giver. He is the one who gives us life. He is the source of life, all life. And we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last... He will stand upon the earth. Isn't that interesting? This earth, this old earth will all burn up and God will recreate a new heavens and a new earth. While the wicked are resurrected to eternal death and destruction, the children of God will be resurrected bodily to new life. We, we don't know what we will be, but we do know this, that when Christ appears, we will be just like him because we will see him as he is. We're gonna be given a new body. What type of body? A body just like Jesus. Is it going to be like the ones we have? Well, it's not going to be mortal. It's going to be immortal. It's not going to be corruptible. It's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be eternal. We know that in Jesus' life, and we don't know exactly, but we know that Jesus sat down and he enjoyed a good loaf of bread. My guess is that it was with peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) that he enjoyed the, the, the creation that God had made. We know that he could appear in the room without knocking or without opening the door. Kind of look forward to that. We don't know. We know that we will be in a glorified state and we will be then free from the presence of sin. We will then know true justice and mercy. We will see, we will see justice executed on the wicked. That We will know God's mercy for all eternity. Verse 26, after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh shall see God, whom I shall, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right? and now what Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep that we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Finally, Job closes in um, in uh, verse number uh, 20. He who testifies to these things says, I'm sorry, Job finishes by saying, my heart faints within me. It's as though he is, Echoing what, it's as though John in the close of Revelation 22 echoes what he is saying. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, John says. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And here's Job. In anticipation that one day true justice will reign, one day he will be in the presence of the Lord, and he will be known for who he is. I don't know what you're going through, um, but I know a God that is going through it with you, and I know that he is faith ever faithful in working and ministering into your heart. He uses the body of Christ to encourage you and to strengthen you, and I would encourage you to love one another and to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for being our advocate, to being our witness in heaven, and thank you for bearing good witness. A witness not of our merit, but of the merit of your own merit and of your own works that you accomplished on the cross. Thank you for being our Redeemer so that we might have the forgiveness of sins, we might be adopted into the Beloved, so that we might be accepted in the Beloved, so that we might live with a blessed hope of what is yet to come. Father, when difficulties arise in our lives, may we be so saturated with the truth of your self-revelation that we will immediately find a hope and a rest in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.